Welcome to Influence Me, a series of podcasts where the prime focus is leadership. I'm Assistant Commissioner Andrew Short, and I'm going to be hosting a series of podcasts where I get to interview a variety of guests, both internal and external to QFES. The topic is something extremely important to us, and one that is central to the success of QFES. I want to talk with these guests about leadership, and I want to learn more about leadership from the thoughts and experiences of others. I want to be influenced. It's a pleasure to introduce today's guest. On the 9th of April 2019, Ian Ames will have been with QFES Fire and Rescue for 40 years. He's been a serving station officer now for 30 years and I have no hesitation in saying that Ian is a very highly respected officer within our industry. Ian sat the Institute of Fire Engineers graduate level exam in the late 80s and was the first ever Australian to top the British Isles and Overseas category which is a great distinction. An area of interest that many listeners will certainly be aware of is Ian's dedication over many years to the discipline of road crash rescue, otherwise known as RCR. In 1993, as part of a small team, Ian was instrumental in the development of the first 40-hour road crash rescue training course. The following year saw Ian attending the Boonal bus crash, where he undertook the critical role of operations officer for an incident a watershed moment for emergency services across the country and resulted in an increased focus on large and complex RCR events. In 2012, Ian was appointed as the inaugural State RCR Training Coordinator at QCESA and this allowed him to further influence the development of enhanced RCR capability across QFRS and now QFES. This included the initial development of heavy RCR operational capability, which is very important to QFES in our ability to undertake heavy vehicle RCR operations. Ian has previously been very active in numerous national and international RCR competitions and was a key member of many successful Queensland teams. In recognition for his commitment to RCR development and capability improvement, Ian was awarded the Australian Fire Service Medal in 2014. Ian, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast today. Thank you so much for agreeing to be part of this leadership podcast. Now, I've spoken about your extensive history and involvement in RCR. Looking back, it must seem a long time ago and the changes that have happened. It certainly is, Andrew. Yeah, 40 years when I first joined and there was only one road crash rescue vehicle in the whole of Brisbane. That was stationed at Rome Street and it attended a lot of crashes. After six months or so being in the job, I drove that vehicle after, unfortunately, the driver of it had a critical incident stress situation. Yep, yep. And I took over, and then I've just been interested ever since. The very first incident we went to, I, I couldn't believe it. It was a car into a pole, fatality, entrapment, and I just couldn't believe the power of it all and the quietness of it all. And I was to learn later in, in my career that they're not always quiet. In this particular case, it was quiet, but they're not always quiet. They're screaming and yelling. Yeah. It, it has evolved a great deal, and I'm really proud of where it is now. And in fact, you know, even now with my broken arm from road crash rescue equipment, yep. we're now developing a five-day complex rescue course. So I'm helping the state road crash rescue training coordinator to do that. So all our vehicles carry world-class road crash rescue equipment. That competition thing you said, I just got word yesterday that I am actually leading a team down to the Australasian Are you back in the mix? Back off, in the off, mix. Off the, off the bench? Yeah, well, uh, yes, <laughs> off the bench. We're going in July down to Dubbo. Uh, back into wonderful. it again? Yep. And uh, looking forward to it. Now, uh, looking back at that long period where you would have, would have witnessed, and, and I was there 
uh, and I got to see part of it as well. I need to disclose to the uh, listeners that I worked for Ian as a firefighter. I do uh, honestly say that this gentleman is one of the people that I, that I learnt from in the early part of my uh, service as a operational uh, fiery. I've got a clear memory of a moment where and the other person who was at, at this particular accident was Alan Young because that's when Youngie worked with you and I was on that same crew and, and we were at a, an RCR incident and I was about to get the shears to uh, take the seat out of the car and I remember your hand coming onto my shoulder and saying no need for that just get the socket set out and, and take it out that way so that moment for me was a, a real learning opportunity for me and I remember both yourself and, and, and Youngie and the other the other officers that I worked for back then, so much to learn. In looking back at how things have evolved, there's got to have been a bit of leadership in there. And what I mean by that is there are moments where something could be improved, maybe a bit of risk taken to use a different bit of gear or try something different. What's your reflection on that in terms of leadership, in terms of allowing RCR to evolve? Well, right from the start, to be on that road crash rescue truck at Roma Street, because it was the only one at the time, some people were on it as a uh, type of penalty. Some of the officers were on it because they were needed to be <laughs> disciplined. <laughs> However, though, that's some. Generally speaking, the officers on it, and I remember one in particular, substation officer Arthur Hayward, he, he taught me a great deal. And some of the fires, they found that they, they looked at it as being a privilege to be on it. As, and a challenge. I would say more so a challenge because it was a very challenging job. You know, one night I saw, I didn't drive it this night, one night it went to five actual extrications in one night. One of the early nights I was on it, I went to three. We did not have any training course. There was no training course. You learnt from those that were with you or went before you. And at Roma Street, there were, you know, there was always about uh, 15 experienced firefighters there. And we learnt on the road, but we also practised a lot. We took this truck morning and afternoon every day to stations to show them all the equipment. I remember those visits. Yes, and we got quite good at it. There is some footage from back in the day though of actual road crash rescue incidents and I cringe when I look at them now because there's people shaking cars and all this sort of stuff. I had a fair bit to do with later in the time getting actual stabilisation on trucks and in Brisbane region we actually put stabilisation on every truck and it only started off as just step blocks but it evolved and we now are at a point where we went from a combi tool on a few trucks in the whole of Brisbane area, I can only speak about Brisbane, to now every truck in Queensland has a full kit of spreaders, cutters, rams, airbags, it's, it's a brilliant set of gear. Well I, I need to jump in and, and uh, pose to you that uh, now that the, the title of this podcast is Influence Me and that's deliberately aimed at this notion that getting things to change or the application of leadership is not all about rank, it's about influence. And, and I'm going to say to you that uh, you and your colleagues back during that period, you've somehow been able to influence things so that something which had no training becomes structured and all of a sudden we're, we're using different equipment. How did that play out? Was it just a case there were moments where you would talk to someone who had the ability to put some effort towards something. Yeah, th th there must be moments where you, you made a pitch to say, hey, we need to be doing something different. Yes, that's true, and, and I can pinpoint. There's a few key points here. One is around about that 1993, we 
we, as in the Bureau of Emergency Services, decided that we would put together a, a five-day, back then it was road accident rescue course. I think this came about because road accident rescue, it was called road accident back yeah, then. That, now yeah, it's that road, was the language. Road, yeah. It was yeah. the language. Back then it was starting to fragment a bit, a little bit like it is in southern states now. So ambulance service back then was starting to do a bit of road rescue. However, they, in Brisbane, did not have the gear, did not have the manpower. And in fact, at that particular point in the early 90s, I was at Mount Gravatt station back then and we were getting delayed calls to incidents. And when we'd arrived, there was nothing happening. We just didn't get called and the AMBOs were actually trying. Ha having a go. Having a go, but not with any gear. Yeah. And yep. so what ended up happening, they were starting to delve off into that. And I'm not trying to have a crack at them, but what happened was the government in the mid to late 80s, when we became the um, Queensland Fire Service, they legislated that fire would do road accident Crash. rescue. Yeah. And I'm yeah. glad they did because it was a clear cut. Back then we didn't, but we ended up with four people on every truck. Yep. We would put equipment on each truck and they will go and the AMBOs would do their job. 94, we did heavy rescue. 94, we had the Boondor bus crash just after we did a, a big heavy rescue course over at the Old Lytton Training Centre. That was, a, as you said, a, a um, watershed moment. Yeah, it was. Yep. It yep. was because that was, well, it still remains Queensland's uh, worst fatality uh, road traffic And there crash. were a couple of other interstate bus crashes around there was. the same time, if I recall correctly. Yeah, just prior to the Boondall one, where we, uh, where unfortunately 12 people lost their lives, there was the Tambourine bus crash, which 11 did. And then in 1989, there was those two very serious bus crashes in New South Wales, one at Kempsey and one at Port Macquarie. The, the Kempsey one resulted in 35 fatalities was head on. What happened then was heavy rescue became part of it, but then it basically stopped because our trucks did not carry heavy rescue gear. Um, we could call on back then, the Queensland Rail heavy vehicle, whatever it was, they called it back then. And, they, and I remember it coming to Mount at one time with a thing called a plasma cutter. I didn't even know what it was, but now we carry them on our Now kilos. we do, yes. We do. Yep. So from that point on, Brisbane region, I can't really, again, speak what happened everywhere else. But in that period from about 93, 94, 96, Brisbane region started putting some road crash rescue on satellite pumps so that that would be a combi tool. So the very basics, a combi tool, a pump, a ram and two airbags so that they could actually make a start on the incident till the rescue or the emergency the tender, tender arrived. arrived yeah. yep. So one of those other big moments that occurred and, and it still is to this day in 1996 was the start of the state road crash rescue competitions. Competitions, yep. Well, it was in 1995 actually was the first one. It was an Australian competition was held during the AFAC conference at the Brisbane Convention Centre. And I remember going to that as a participant at the convention centre, but the competition was held downstairs and I thought, I like this, this is really good. And I watched it and watched it. And then in 1996, we got a call to go put a team together from Mount Cravat. That was the watershed moment because what happened was we put a team together. We didn't do extremely well in the comp, but we networked and worked with other fireys from around the state. And this is what brought us all together. And these competitions brought an improvement in equipment and techniques without a doubt. And the, the team from Rockhampton, who was strongly supported by Lee Johnson, our former commissioner, he was a very influential leader from Central Region. His team won that initial Australian competition and went on to win the next few. And we were up against them in the state level. And our particular team from Mount Gravatt, from coming nowhere in the first one, were just narrowly defeated by them in the second one. And then we beat them for the next few years. So 
And it wasn't all about winning, it was about exchanging ideas, seeing this, trying that, and even to this day now, the Australian Raid Crash Rescue Competition is a brilliant way to trial and use different equipment and watch techniques from all around Australia, and there's even uh, from New Zealand and one from Hong Kong. So I would suggest that those people that were involved in those competitions, in particular Inspector Daryl Rush from that initial Rockhampton team who's just all through his career has had road crash rescue close to the heart and he developed a lot of things, in, in, improved the courses, improved equipment and he's, I think he still has a hand in it. And then when of course I was appointed to that position here, as you said in October 2012, we really made some inroads there. Yeah, it was it was an exciting, exciting period. You made the point about, use Daryl as an example, of leaders who strongly believe in something. And is that for you one of the critical things of being a leader, that you've got to believe in what you're doing? You do. You need to believe. You need to do a number of things. One is to believe you have to, you have to have experience. You have to listen. You gain that experience. And when you can gain experience, you can lead by example. Uh, you know, I purposely waited 10 years before I did my substation officer exam. So these days I think you can do it after about six, give or take. Um, I waited till 10, I did my apprenticeship at Roma Street Fire Station where we got lots of fires and lots of car crashes. But I did an apprenticeship there with a lot of senior firefighters it was, and it was a really terrific place to do it. When I decided to become an officer, you know, it was a big step, but I thought, no, well, you should put in and help out, lead to bigger and better things. And I did, and, and I, I was confident. So when I became a substation officer, I was confident. Yeah. Coupled with the knowledge I'd got from my life in surf lifesaving, I was able to lead. Yeah, and I'd like to talk about, keep going, because I want to talk, but I do want to talk about life, uh, surf lifesaving, what, what, it's been, what it's meant for you in terms of uh, you know, your leadership skills. Did lifesaving? Yeah. I started lifesaving very early. I was only 11 years old, and the club I was at, which is Point Lookout on Stradbroke, it was a bit of a Wild West isolated area back then. But eventually, when I got my bronze medallion, which is the key to lifesaving, the bronze medallion, and uh, it's like doing a recruit course here, I was 17. So by the time I was a junior at, his, at Point Lookout and I was 17, I must have showed some potential because I was very happy to teach others. I wasn't in the fire service at that point, but I could teach others and, and I enjoyed teaching resuscitation, first aid, uh, rescues because we did a lot of it at Point Lookout. At that point, did you start to see people who were involved or were involved in surf lifesaving and, and without you know, consciously doing it, but you think there could have been moments where you, you looked at someone, maybe one of their senior people and gone, gee, they do that well. The way they either treat people or the way they uh, have clarity in the way they give direction. Do, do you have any reflection? Did you, are there people who stand out in, your, uh, in that period for you? Absolutely, uh, two people. And it was in that period, it was in that impressionable period between 17 years of age and 22. So in between, when I joined it, uh, when I was in there at 17 as a, you know, a, a young, fit, healthy young man, and there were several others like me, our captain at the time, a, a, a guy called Wayne Collier, who was still associated with the club, was a brilliant, you know, he was just a wonderful man, very, uh, a big solid man, led by example, but had a lot of really good traits in his life. You know, good, terrific parents. What, what, what's, some, what's some of the traits that he showed? Oh, well, it would be, you know, definitely lead by example. And one of his traits was be willing to do 
the, the most arduous or, or you know, boring task to prove to the others that you are willing to do it. If you're willing to do it, they were willing to follow you. Yeah. And one of the jobs was uh, on, a, on a Saturday night is wash up with, for, for 30 odd people. And instead of racing up to the hotel and having a good night, he said, you just try this stay back and wash up with these young guys and they will stick with you through no matter what. Yeah. What I took from that was lead, not only lead by example, be willing to do the, the, the worst of the jobs, pick the worst job and do it. And people will look at you and go, if he's gonna do it, then I'll do it. And people followed. Do you still do that now? I mean, I know you're offline at the moment with your, with your arm. What's your approach now with your, with your uh, crews? Well, well, I probably don't go and clean the toilets and all that at the station <laughs> because we do actually have a lot of admin to do. Yeah, and I yeah. have a, a terrific crew where I'm yeah. at and I'm still at 17 station, although it's called Wishart now. Yeah. I don't necessarily do those arduous tasks like that. But if we're doing road crash rescue training or anything like that, then you're always in there helping. You don't stop and have a drink or, or whatever. Or don't stand back and just point. No, you, yeah. until yeah. everything's put away. Yeah. I do that, I make sure I do that, and that's, that's extremely important that you do those jobs. The other person who was a great inspiration to me back then, so, so this gentleman who was captain, his name was Wayne Cole, and like I said, he's still there now. They appointed me as chief instructor, so in a surf club, chief instructor teaches everybody and organises all the awards to be done, and our club went from 30 to 40 to 50, 60, 70 people, and I arranged all that. So I did chief instructor for three years, but after one year they decided, or the management at the time thought I had a bit of potential and I was made vice captain. So vice captain of that club was, was a great honour and within two years I was captain. So in that four year period from 17 to 21 and on to 22, I'd done those two jobs which were active jobs, which was teaching, and then we did lots of rescues, resuscitation cases and all that. The other person who was quite influential from those early days was the president. His name was Cole Turner. He, again, was a bit like a father figure, but a friend. He moulded, he, he was a number of different things. A father figure, a friend, and a person you wanted to be with. You really wanted to be with him because we would work extremely hard doing projects around the club, and then I was uh, an apprentice bricklayer, so we'd, we'd lay bricks and all that. But there was always a beer at the end of the day. He knew how to have you wanting to be there. Yeah. And we did. Yeah. And when I finished uh, uh, active membership at the club, well, I didn't finish it. I went on for 30 years. But when I joined the fire service, I was 23. So I went from 17 to 22 doing those jobs. 23-year-old joined the fire brigade, unable to go over every weekend because the bay transport was nothing like it was now where you can jump on a water taxi yep. and be there yep. in 20 minutes. And so I had to curtail and I just curtailed back and I did treasurer for 12 years. But once I joined the fire service, what I realised is this is almost exactly the same. I have, I have leaders, uh, wonderful leaders, some not so much, but there were some brilliant leaders and, and the one that I can think of at the time, and it was a great change of the fire service, it was a bit of an era change, was Viv Dowling. Yep. He was the chief officer. And Viv Dowling loved his boys. That's what Cole Turner used to always say. I love my boys, my boys, you know, yep. come, and, come yep. and work with me, come and run with me, you know, and all that. And Viv Dowling would come to jobs in his brass helmet. It might have been silver he had. We all, we all had the Tupperware plastic ones. <laughs> um, I missed out on the brass helmets, but I'm pretty sure Viv Dowling might have had the, uh, the silver one as chief officer. All the beautiful all the braid, brass, yeah, 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 yeah down yeah, his yep, shoulder. Yep, yep. But he would come to a job, you'd be on a branch or 
Back then, if, as a fairly new guy, you were usually backing someone up. They were all 64 mil hoses. They were all fully charged. One, and you're in one, there. One inch nozzles. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, um, but he would come down and stand by you and say, how, how are you, son? Yeah, you're doing a good, good job there, son. And he was, he was like a, 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 a god to us. This is Viv Dowling, the chief officer. And everyone would have felt comfort yep. that he was on that fire ground. He was, yeah. Yep. And, and, and he had a limp because he'd fell, fallen through a roof yep. uh, earlier in his career. To have him there, so I'd say he was. But there was a couple of others, and I, I know you were going to bring that to mind. Um, one was Superintendent Kevin Calthorpe, yep. a quiet achiever, a man who I had a lot of time for because they had a couple of particularly bad jobs. Uh, one where we had um, three houses, a furniture factory, a massive gum tree, cars, and a woman trapped. And we had an issue with the truck. And whilst one other senior officer, who I won't go into, <laughs> was going off his brain and was you know, going to do this and going to do that. Calthorpe kept it cool. Calm yeah, as. Yeah. Came up and said, let's, righto son, let's have a look at this. I've got paintwork blistering off the truck. The red lights were melting. And he said, righto, son, let's have a look at this here and let's do this. Let's, and let's sort do it that. out. And yeah. I just thought, there is a there, guy you yeah. would go anywhere with. Another one was... Um, is that, just before we move on, yep. is that something that without you even knowing it, you'd probably do yourself? I try to. Yeah, I try to. But as you will know, that when you're really in the heat of battle, you don't really have time to reflect on a book or anything like that. And you've got to reflect on, um, you've got to move quickly with instinct, um, past yep. experience. No, knowing that people are looking at you. To oh, see, absolutely. To, 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 but the know, main to, thing is yeah. the safety thing. We don't want any yep. of us getting hurt yep. or killed. Any officer who pulls up at an at a incident has got so many things to do at, at one time. And that's why we always look at it later and reflect, geez, I could have done that a bit different. Because there's so many things you can do. There's not, you don't have time to sit there and look through a checklist. You were going for it. And generally speaking, you cover it all. Yeah, my memory is you know, some of the better station officers that, that I got to see in action for whatever reason, they seemed to have a lot of time. They were so cool. If we had civilians run around you know, really going crazy because of what's happening and, and maybe you know, police and others on site, but you know, just seeing these people, these officers being you know, cool as cucumbers. Yeah, and, they, and what that did for the rest of the crew, it just kept everyone calm. They might have been churning a little bit inside, but some oh, Of course thrive. they would be, but, but they keep it inside. Yeah. And they, and they just um, keep it really cool. Just now in, in kind of reflecting on that, if I ask you the question, and there, there's probably going to be some either junior, newly appointed station officers, or maybe fireys who are thinking about uh, stepping up, what advice would you give them? Now that you know, you've been a station officer for 30 years, what things should they keep at the, at the front of their mind about leadership if they're going to get serious about it? Well, one is that 30 years of being a station officer, you never stop learning. Yep. Uh, you can call on experience, which is huge. My experience in road crash in particular, I don't fear any incident I go to. I don't like going to them. I don't like seeing people hurt and killed, but I don't fear any. Whereas there will definitely be a lot of people out there who are absolutely uh, um, concerned about what they, what they yeah, could go yeah. to, and, and, and rightly so, it's human nature. And that's because they haven't had the benefit of years of experience. And, um, the, and yeah. that competition. Yeah. So the competition and the experience, the thing about the competition is that you train and compete at the most, at the closest possible events that you're going to encounter on the road. You know, I mean, the makeup they use, the the, the, the crushed vehicles, the pressure with the time. Uh, so that has been helpful, and I've done that for 20 years. Yeah. So it's been helpful. 
couple that in together with going to the real jobs, and, and I am at Wishart, and Wishart is, is extremely busy, busy station, station for road yep. crash. It's the yep. busiest in the state. You do go to a lot of jobs. So for the new young ones coming through, one is lead by example. You can't help what experience you've got. You, you can only go on the experience that you've gained. You're not going to learn it from a book, although you do have to keep up with ever-changing procedures, procedures, techniques, equipment, equipment, yeah, the whole all the rest of it. You've got to keep up with it. The length of time you've had prior to being a station officer is important. That's why five, six years, in my view, is, is, a, is a real challenge. Yep. And good luck to those who do it. But I went 10, yep. and so I just walked into it. You have to definitely lead by example. You do have to be calm, as you alluded to before. It's no good running around flapping your arms around. You've got to be calm, even if you are doing a little bit of churning inside. That's natural. What about if people make, uh, on occasion, people are going to make mistakes? That's the nature of it. And um, what's been your philosophy when maybe you know, the crew or you know, someone is, is you know, made a bit of a stuff up? Mistakes do happen. Sometimes it's compounded by a number of situations and other times it can be through, uh, I don't like to use the word, but slackness because we do get plenty of time to train. We do get plenty of time to check equipment. We do get, to, you know, we, we've got all our core skills. Um, there's no excuse for not training and being at a high level. Uh, sometimes at incidents there will be equipment failures or whatever, but there's no excuse for slackness. And if yeah. there is um, something that should really not have happened, we will address that. We fix it there and then we address it later. Yeah. We'll have a talk about it. You can't sweep it under the carpet. It's no good screaming and yelling there, which I've seen happen before. That's no good at all. You want to get the job done. Yep. You, you, you cover that mistake or error or, or whatever it is, fix it, move on, but then we address it and we say, righto. And, and there's the learning symposiums. Yeah, look, my experience is when you give people the chance to learn from their mistake with, you know, in an environment where you know, blame is not the game, trying to belittle someone's not the game. Most people are quite responsive to that and appreciate that they've got a leader with them who's going to teach them something. That's it. Yeah. We have um, the operational debriefs. We can do that at a job, which we quite often do, a hot debrief at the yeah. job and say, well, look, that went really well or look, we could have done this. Back at the station when everyone, if it's a fire, everyone is um, you know, back ready to go again, had a shower or, or refreshed or whatever. We had the lessons learnt symposiums, you, you yeah, recall those, right. where yep. that yep. was all about learning from certain incidents. And then there's the, the larger operational debriefs, the, the, the ones where all stations and sometimes even multi-services multi come along too. They're, they're always very helpful. We can learn from mistakes, yeah. but uh, generally speaking, I, I get a lot of satisfaction out of a station officer when the crew perform really well under trying circumstances. And I get even greater satisfaction out of people I've seen grow and grow and grow. And I can virtually lead some of them to run an incident. I've, I've been at car crashes where we've had two cars and I could lead one, leave one of my more senior people. And I will say they normally were ones that had been, competed with me over the years. They've done a lot of training and I will leave them with that one and I will go to this one. Yeah. And that is so rewarding that, yeah, to see. By now you've already had a, quite a few fires that you've seen that were very junior. Yeah. And now I've gone on and, and probably very competent station officers. Exactly right. Yeah. And, they, and they are. And some of them are still um, firefighters who prefer to stay as yeah, a senior fair. firefighter. Yep. And we need we excellent need senior yep. fighters. We do. And it is, it is really rewarding to see that. I do take gratification out of being part of that. It's, it's the best it thing is. in terms of that. That's the, that's the reward of leadership is that you get to see good things happen. You get to see good things happen of people who you've formed a pretty good relationship with and... Um, 
and, and worked hard with to allow them to become the best they can be. Conscious of time, uh, I want to close this out now. What, we, what I do, Ian, with every guest that, we, uh, that I have a chat to is I've got five questions that I ask. Now, the first question is, Ian, what do you wish you really understood? I wish I understood why some people have no regard for others when they're driving vehicles on the road and you can see that it's going to turn into a tragedy seven or eight times out of ten and yet they haven't seen it before and they think it will never happen to them. It makes me angry. I try to be patient, but I want to throttle them. Yeah, so, because you get to see the, uh, the consequences of that pretty regularly. And I'm sick yeah. of hearing when you actually speak to someone who caused a uh, crash from their stupidity, I never thought this had happened. How could this happen? And you know very easily it can happen at the blink of an eye. Great, thank you. Question two, uh, what do you wish other people understood about you? It's not that I so much wish they understand because anyone who knows me would know that. That um, is it fire related or life, family mate, related? Life, you know, like I mean, anything, my, anything. My, my family is everything yep, to me, yep. as it should be for everyone. Yep, yep. It's not so much that I wish they think that because those who know me will know that anyway. Yeah. So yeah. as to, I don't really have anything that I really want people to to know about because they put the ones who know you well probably know you. That's it. Yeah. And and, yep. and if it's in a fire related sense, those who have dealt with me or work with me or whatever will know that I, you know yep. sometimes your reputation goes ahead of you question three is what's the strangest question anyone's ever asked you <laughs> why are you called blue flame zones <laughs> i think that's i think that's a great answer and i'm not going to go any further than that because some who are listening to this will understand what that means that's a great answer thank you okay you que question four we've got to keep going question four what type of leader do you prefer traits what type yep. of leader? Leads by example, flexible but firm. Yep. Willing to treat a person as he would like to be, or he or she would like to be treated themselves. However, still upholding the rules, policies, procedures, codes of conduct. Not being weak and brushing things under the carpet and letting it fester. Keeping the interest in his the people he leads, and making the environment where they work a place that they want to come. Great answer, Ian. And the final question, and this one. It respects the notion that as a leader, there are times when you've got to give people bad news or you've got to have a hard discussion. So the question is, how do you prefer to deliver bad news in person, by text message, which apparently is a pretty popular way with the younger generation, or by carrier pigeon? <laughs> Definitely by uh, in person. In person. Yeah. Not in front, uh, not in front of a crew. I, I had to do this recently to a, uh, a firefighter I've been on with for a long time, got a lot of time for, a lot of respect for, and I did have to say, you need to you know, slow down when we're going to these calls. We were going to a gassing, possible gassing, and we just went a bit too quick, and I had to, to remind this particular person, as I say, I got a lot of time for him, we have to um, slow right down and, and stop at these intersections. Yeah, because we, um, we want to get there. We want to get there, we're only gonna save what little, little amount of time. It wasn't an easy conversation, but it was accepted well. I also had a conversation recently, and I'm, and I'm only using recently because it's in my mind, of one of my other firefighters, and I had to give him news that, that you know, he, he really wasn't going to be passed on a certain vehicle. I just said, I'm, I'm sorry, but you just, you don't quite have it yet. Yeah. And he understood the conversation, and in fact, whilst disappointed, appreciated and thanked me for the concern and, and for the manner in which it was delivered. So you can do this in a, um, a tactful way, 
and uh, that's that's the way. And like I said, I uh, you treat people the way you want to be treated yourself, but still upholding those principles and you know our codes. Thank you. Well, that's it. That um, wasn't too difficult. That wasn't too difficult, mate. Thank you very much for what you've done, what you've done in your career, what you've done in terms of road crash rescue for our organisation and even nationally and beyond. It's been an absolute pleasure working with you, and I appreciate you having a chat with me today. Thank you. Well, thank you. And can I just finish whether it gets used or not? With 40 years, it's gone and fairly quickly, extremely quickly. I've been privileged to be in this job for that period of time. There has been ups and downs, yep. more ups and downs. There has been tragedy, of course, but it's been a privilege to be in it and I could not think of a better job. Good on you, pal. Thank you very much.